Welcome to Ageless by Rescue. This podcast is devoted to exploring the science of rejuvenation, uncovering the most trusted experts, the must-have products, innovations, and technology in the field of vitality, aesthetics, new beauty, and cosmetic enhancement. Let me introduce you to Professor Derek Richard. On this subject, the treating and reversing aging as a disease. Professor Richard is the scientific director of the Cancer and Aging Research Program, the director of the Queensland Centre for Drug Target Screening and deputy director of the Centre for Genomics and Personalised Health at QUT. He completed his PhD at the University of Dundee in Scotland and moved to Australia where his pioneering work in the field of aging and DNA repair has seen him publish over 140 scientific peer-reviewed papers since starting his research group. His research at the Cancer and Aging Research Program focuses on how DNA repair systems function to protect your genetic code from disease-causing mutations such as cancer and how these protective processes go wrong with age, driving disease initiation. This episode was one of my absolute favorites to host. I first met Dr. Richard at a PR event when he was speaking on behalf of a skincare brand, and I knew straight away that I wanted to know more about his take and research on how aging is actually a disease. To understand the link between diseases such as cancer and aging is truly fascinating. And the good news is that there is already a huge body of research supporting the fact that lifestyle changes we make today can prevent, slow down, and in many instances, reverse aging, as it would other chronic diseases. Professor Richard is applying his expertise to cancer and anti-aging drug development, as well as contributing to the development of a range of state-of-the-art skincare products with Australian brand Ellison Crew to help fund his critical work. His team have developed two therapeutics with one due to enter human trials this year. I'm very, very pleased to introduce you to Professor Derek Richard. I'd like to welcome Professor Derek Richard to Ageless by Rescue. What an honor and a thrill to reconnect with you. How are you? I am great. And thank you for uh, inviting me on. Yes, it's um, a good, a good to, to be here. So uh, we met, I want to say, a year and a half ago in Sydney when you were uh, speaking on behalf of a beautiful skincare brand, Ellison Crew, and you'd worked with them to develop uh, a very unique skincare product. But your background is really uh, in cancer and aging research. In fact, you're the founder and CEO of the Cancer and uh, the Aging and Cancer Research Foundation, and you your laboratory out of QUT in Queensland. Uh, is responsible for some incredible studies in the areas of aging and cancer. And I believe, I've got you on Google Alert, Dr. Professor Richard, and <laughs> I, I get about 100 citations that your work is referenced in a day uh, because I believe you've been working on something very interesting around the COVID antidote as well. Yes, no, we, we, uh, we, we 
pivoted a little bit of our research uh, during COVID uh, into developing. So one of the things we do have is we have uh, probably one of Australia's largest drug discovery centres within our lab that we built up uh, over the, the last few years. And uh, so we, we kind of pivoted what we were doing. And yes, COVID, COVID was an area we pivoted in and we have, we have an effective drug. Uh, it's actually in vials, uh, could be in the clinic within um, eight to 10 weeks. But we're, we're just, we're, the old typical problem in Australia, we're just raising the funds to do the, the trials because, you know, a, a phase one trial costs about three and a half million dollars. Uh, so we, we have to raise that money and there's no easy easy way to uh, to do that in, in Australia. Uh, and we're kind of always of the sentiment that we want to keep uh, Australian technology in Australia. So yeah, we're, we're pretty excited about that. the drug sitting in vials uh, in a warehouse in Melbourne, but we just need the money to pay for the clinical trials. So yeah. Professor Richard, what is the link between aging and cancer? Because it is yeah, it's interesting that both of these diseases are in the title of your uh, research and foundation. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's yeah. If you look at the number one risk factor of uh, getting cancer, uh, it's age, uh, w- without a doubt. In, in fact, if you look at uh, many of the pathologies, the diseases that really plague. Uh, Australia uh, and, and, and the world, uh, they're, they're all linked to age. So if you look at cancer, the risk of getting cancer really doubles uh, every every year from the age of about 45 years old. Uh, your risk doubles, keeps on going all the way up to, you're about 85 years old, and for some reason it plateaus slightly then. Uh, but then you look at other diseases such as dementia, you know, you're uh, from about the age of 60, your risk of dementia doubles every year. Osteoporosis, particularly in women, it's from the age of about 55 to 58. The risk doubles every year uh, after that. So all these diseases, uh, you know, they're driven by a very, very similar mechanism. And that, that's uh, changes to your genetic code. Uh, and those changes occur as you get older. Uh, and these changes are what drives these diseases. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, after we get past a certain age, you know, um, you, you, there are things you can obviously do with diet, lifestyle choices. Uh, with cancer uh, and all those are, are related to the fact that the all those lifestyle choices we can make reduce the stress on your genetic code and therefore reduce cancer risk but we've still got to accept that two-thirds of all cancers are are not lifestyle related um, and are driven um, almost purely by age or uh, aging factors. So when you're d- doing the research on and cancer, what are you researching? Are you re- researching cures? Are you researching the link between uh, chronological aging or intrinsic aging or extrinsic aging? What What is the two worlds and what are the research things that you're doing? And what do we need to know as a result of that research that your uh, team are doing? Yeah, look, we, 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 we come in in two different directions. Um, you know, everyone goes after the, the, the cure or should we say treatments for, for cancer. Uh, and we do that ourselves. So we, we, uh, we, we look at the cancer cells, we look what's wrong with the cancer cells and we start to target the things that have gone wrong in the hope that we can kill the cancer cells. But the other big aim of our, our group is to actually, well, you know, once you get cancer, the horse is kind of bolted uh, out of the stable uh, and, you know, you're, you're trying to catch this horse now and it's difficult. Um, whereas we're also looking at ways of keeping that door shut in, in the first place. Um, and we do that by looking at drugs that will uh, prevent cancer from forming in the first place. Uh, and they're, they're primarily designed to um, 
protect your genetic code, these drugs. Uh, they're designed to enhance the body's natural defense mechanism against changes to genetic code. Uh, and by doing that, so if you can do those kind of things, you would impact cancer greatly, uh, but you'd also impact dementia, you'd impact um, osteoporosis, et cetera. So the idea is that, so, you know, the, there's a clear link between uh, genetic changes or what we call genetic instability and uh, diseases such as cancer. And we know that when you hit the age of about 40, your body starts to ramp down the proteins in each one of our cells that are responsible for surveying the genetic code, detecting damage and repairing it. So it's, it's like your body switches a switch when you're about 40, switches down these uh, repair mechanisms. And what then happens is your the, the changes to your genetic code just increase and increase and increase every year, whereas we're normally flatlined it up to that point. And uh, so what we're actually hoping to do is to stop that switch and, and allow your genetic code to be very stable for a very long time. And so you don't actually ever get cancer or, or your risk of cancer it only really starts maybe when you're in your 80s. Uh, or whatever and it's really really interesting it was a, like a, a study just came out uh, and and it showed that it, people who lived over 100 years old had one thing in common and that was that their DNA repair systems were not switched off so the DNA repair system if it's not switched off your yeah. chances for longevity and not just longevity in years but quality of health and quality exactly. of health aging time, experience yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's yeah, really so. interesting. When I speak to experts, uh, I speak at them from all different aspects of the whole ageless journey. So whether it be a nutritionist, whether it be a cosmetic surgeon, whether it be a scientist, um, and the work, you know, when we first had met and had the conversation, one of the things that I was really interested in, in your view was that aging is simply a disease as well. And um, the markers are... Uh, you you talked about you know that you're hitting forty is where you see the rapid decline, um, mm -hmm. and is that from epigenetics or is that from a, a genetic mutation of your code? What what happens yeah, there? Yeah, they're, they're intrinsically linked. You know, they're, there's no separating mutation from epigenetics. So uh, the changes to the genetic code drive changes to your epigenetics. Um, it's, it's kind of a vicious uh, uh, cycle because um, the body will detect changes to your genetic code. It will detect damage to your genetic code. And what it does is it sets off an inflammatory response at the cellular level. Uh, and then those cells start to enter the, that inflammation into the, the bloodstream, into surrounding tissues, et cetera. So you end up in a chronic inf inflammatory state. Uh, and most of us will be in, in some kind of, uh, when we get to certain age, we'll be in that chronic inflammatory state. And that inflammation itself then enhances the uh, oxidative stress within the cells, uh, and that drives more DNA damage. So you're in this kind of cycle. Um, and all those events uh, drive changes to your epigenetics. So epigenetics is essentially, you know, we each and each one of our cells, we have an entire, the entire information to make another human. Uh, and every one of our cells, uh, excluding red blood cells, for anybody who wants to uh, pick that point, but the, uh, and let's say in our skin cells, but we only read certain parts, each, uh, your skin cell only reads parts of that genetic code that are required to make it skin cell, and it does that using a process called epigenetics, uh, and epigenetics is effectively opening up parts of the genetic code to be read. Uh, and change. Now, as we uh, uh, as we grow older, our epigenetics will change, um, and and that, and to a certain degree, it can be used as a biological clock, uh, in, in some people. But we know that if you reduce the 
stresses to your body, those epigenetic changes will change back to more of a normal state. Uh, and so your, your cells will somewhat be, I, I guess, rejuvenated. So you might be producing more elastin or more collagen in your cells because you've reduced that, that chronic, um, you've intercepted that chronic cycle uh, where, where genetic damage is causing inflammation and inflammation is causing genetic damage. And if you intervene and stop that vicious cycle, uh, then you end, end up e exiting that, that chronic inflammation state. And uh, then uh, you, you're, you're gonna be healthier uh, in general. Uh, and you're going to age slower uh, in reality. So, Professor Richard, are you saying that it is absolutely possible to turn back the hands of time through uh, reducing the inflammation, reducing the load on your genetic coding through modifying your epigenetic state? Yeah. I mean, you can't actually turn back time. So once damage has occurred, it's occurred, uh, but you can get the cells to behave more normal. So we can never repair those mutations that you've accumulated over your lifetime. Uh, that, that's impossible. Um, and I don't think it'll ever be possible to do that because every cell's changes are slightly different. But what we can do is we can uh, switch off uh, that, that vicious cycle and, and the cells will behave as if they're younger. Uh, so the, the cells will go back behaving as if they're younger uh, and you'll, your epigenetics will change. So the correct amounts of each protein are being expressed. And so you'll, you'll look younger. You won't get disease, uh, early onset disease as you would if you were in a constant chronic inflammation state. So it's, um, yeah, so turning back time is, is a, a, in certain descriptors such as the changes to your genetic code is not possible, but in other ways it definitely is possible that you can, uh, you can make somebody, um, their body behave younger. Um, just so what are the things that you can, uh, picking up on your point that you can make the body behave younger, let's talk about some of the things that the body, where the body can behave younger through the modification of your epigenetics. Yeah, so well, look, skin skin is obviously a, a very easy one to look at because skin, we, we can t look at our skin and see it's healthier or not healthy or whatever. So if, if you change it, you uh, if you can uh, reset the kind of thing, you'll, you'll get that. So a lot of people with age get blotchy skin or whatever. That's inflammation. It's, it's basically inflammation uh, hitting your skin. And so the when pigmentation, you, rosacea, uneven uh, yeah. so, skin tone, that's all a function of inflammation. Yeah, exactly. Pigmentation is your melanocytes just uh, um, going a bit crazy because inflammation is driving them. Um, and so once you get rid of that chronic inflammation state, that pigmentation goes. Now, people always think it's a miracle. They, they, they want a miracle with pigmentation and they, they put on something and after a week, it's still there. You know, it's one of these things that the, uh, the, the, the pigment uh, has a half-life of about, I think it's about 60 days. Um, so you, you can only ever, even in the best circumstances, you're only going to reduce your pigmentation uh, over a long period of time. Um, but, but there are more immediate effects. So, so elastin and collagen, obviously, if you can uh, get the cells to behave uh, younger, those, those things are going to change. Uh, muscle tone, uh, et cetera, uh, all, all will be impacted. So you'll just generally, it, it, you know, if I had to pick one thing that was a, the biggest driver of aging, it's just chronic uh, inflammation state that people enter uh, into and it just drives the uh, damage to your body. It drives damage to your genetic code in this vicious cycle that just keeps on going. So you kind of, if you can intervene in that. So our, our big hope is, and, and we're working towards that. We've actually got a, a lead drug that we, we're working on just now is to switch on the repair systems again, the DNA repair systems again. Now, as soon as you do that, you end that vicious loop 
uh, of of inflammation and of um, you know DNA damage, etc. Um, so we're trying to you know with these people that live over a hundred years old, their switch doesn't work. It doesn't appear to work. So they have enhanced the normal levels of the DNA repair system. So probably the same as they had when they were eighteen, uh, when they're a hundred. Um, and so they've they've just accumulated age as a linear factor over time. Um, and so our idea is that we, we want to develop a drug that you'll maybe take when you're in your 30s uh, and that will stop that switch going off. So it'll keep those repair proteins really high. Uh, they'll repair your genetic code. You won't get the mutations. You won't get the inflammation uh, and you'll, you won't get the diseases then that are driven by that, that process. You know, the chasing the fountain of youth is obviously a quest that we've been on for thousands of years, for as long as we've been human. Uh, and mm. it is the mythical holy grail. Um, and you talk about intervention. Now, I'm aware of a, a few things that are already on the market. For example, I'd love your uh, thoughts on NAD supplementation and infusion. Um, yeah that has shown to have a lot of clinical promise for yeah. addressing some of those reparative uh, benefits. What is yeah. NADS and, and have you worked with it in your studies? So NAD is just a natural uh, natural product and abs absolutely, you know, absolutely. It's one of the, one of, I guess, one of the key ingredients in the, the face care range that I put, to, put together. But the, um, so NAD is an interesting uh, molecule because it's got a uh, it's got a very short half life. Um, so NAD itself uh, has only limited uh, capabilities of uh, of um, helping you. So when when I mean short half life, I mean it, you stick it in your uh, your body, it'll be absorbed into your bloodstream. Um, and as we get older, NAD levels uh, go down. And NAD is a, a, a critical component required for the repair of your genetic code. Okay, so as levels drop, your ability to repair the genetic code drops with those levels as well. And there's some evidence that if you enhance the levels of NAD in your, your blood, um, that you will, in fact, uh, end up with enhanced uh, repair uh, capacity. Um, the only trouble is NAD itself is a very short uh, half-life, and that means it's, it's destroyed very quickly or lost very quickly from your bloodstream. So you might take it, and then uh, within an hour, you, you really don't have any, any of it left or a therapeutic amount of it left. But there's another compound called nicotinamide riboside, uh, and that's a, that's a pre-factor of NAD. So that's broken down into NAD in a controlled fashion by an enzyme within your body. Uh, and, and so that, that, that supplement itself is a much longer-lived supplement and, and has much more uh, benefit for you. There is another uh, supplement called nicotinamide mononucleotide uh, that people are using and gaining uh, uh, popularity. It, it's, it's slightly different. It, it's, it's shown in some studies, uh, not in human studies, but in uh, animal studies from the US that that has real benefits to cardiovascular health, uh, even to eye health and things like that. Um, the, the problem with nicotinamide mononucleotide is it's, we're not, we don't know so much about it and its ability to enter our cells is, is a little bit more questionable than uh, nicotinamide riboside. So, yeah, so basically all, all three of those um, have uh, different properties uh, and they all benefit the DNA repair systems uh, and that's how they pr primarily function. Uh, and therefore, you know, if you enhance them, you enhance the repair. So a a nicotinamide and a a is a natural product, but as we grow older, nicotinamide levels drop within our blood, within our cells, uh, and that has a consequence to what we do yeah and can you overdose on nads or nicotinamides is it possible to overwhelm your system with the wrong dosage 
Yeah, look, I, I can't. Yeah, I don't know that answer. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I would have to look that one up. Um, as with everything, you can overdose with everything. Uh, it's a natural compound. Uh, it might be quite hard to overdose with certainly nicotinamide itself. Um, maybe easier with nicotinamide bribes I buy. Yeah, I, I actually don't know that, that answer. <laughs> so I haven't looked at the studies where they've they've done that. But they have done toxicology studies in humans with uh, uh, nicotinamide riboside. So the, the data is out there, but yeah, I would have to look it up. And what about resveratrol? I remember you and I spoke about resveratrol being a key and and I, I guess um, antioxidants, but resveratrol in particular as a superior antioxidant. Yeah, and it's it's uh, its superiority really lies in the fact that it's uh, long lived uh, in our body uh, or on our skin. Um, it's many many antioxidants uh, really kind of like nicotinamide have a really short period of activity, uh, and so they do an extremely good job, uh, but they don't last very long. Uh, they're destroyed, chemically degrade over time. Um, whereas resveratrol has a much longer, uh, you know, active period. Uh, and so it gives you the benefit for longer. Uh, so, you know, um, o- oxygen, unfortunately, um, I, I give this talk, we, we require oxygen to live, um, but our genetic code uh, is damaged by oxygen. And that's why in, inside our cells, we, we keep our genetic code in a, an environment that's uh, is surrounded by a membrane and it's kept away from um, oxygen. In, in that compartment. Um, and so what you what you get with antioxidants is in fact that they're just mopping up these oxygen free radicals that would normally damage your genetic code um, and to certain extent the damage proteins, but primarily it's the genetic code's the problem. Uh, and so you, you again, with antioxidants, you're pr- protecting your genetic code, uh, breaking that cycle of inflammation and yeah. So let's go back to your cancer research and the changes to the epigenetics that we are in control of. Um, what are some of the things that before the miracle pill um, is invented by your laboratory, what are some of the things that we can do to take control of our uh, epigenetics and the damage to our genetic coding? Yeah, so like obviously 100% is, um, you know, um, sun care, uh, looking after your skin, protecting it from sun. It's, you know, the, the ultraviolet light does one thing to your uh, uh, skin and that's damaging genetic code. It directly cross reacts with uh, DNA and, and chemically changes it. And the body then has to repair uh, all that damage that you you have to your genetic code. So I, I always encourage people to put sunscreen on. Um, you know, we, we do need sunlight, uh, but in Australia, the sun, you know, the sunlight we actually need in a day is, you know, half an hour uh, is, is sufficient. Uh, and people, you know, and, you know, we know, for instance, that, you know, melanoma is very uncommon in farmers. Um, and the reason melanoma is uncommon in farmers is really to do with the fact that they uh, receive sunlight every day uh, and the body adapts. So what it does is it ramps up its DNA repair systems in the skin, it then repairs that genetic damage that's happening in the farmers, uh, skin and the um, melanocytes. Uh, and, and so they, they very rarely get melanoma. Um, however, uh, office workers like me who uh, go out and get uh, what we call uh, acute exposure so our body hasn't been exposed to sun maybe for... You're uh, Scottish long. too. So you, you know, you're Scottish as well, so And you're in Queensland. Yeah, yeah. So we, we'll take off the shirt. We'll go to the beach. Uh, we'll, we'll get an, an acute exposure to sunlight. 
uh, our torso or body is not used to that sunlight, so it doesn't have the repair systems in place to repair that sun damage. And therefore, uh, you end up making uh, changes to your genetic code that could ultimately lead to cancer. Um, so that's why office workers get uh, melanoma uh, and farmers very rarely get melanoma. I had um, no idea about this. Yeah, yeah. So people, uh, it's, it's always a worry. And you say, oh, they're only going out in the sun for an hour. You know, I, I would argue um, that that hour is the danger period uh, for you because that hour is when your body starts to realize it's being damaged, starts to ramp up its DNA repair systems to respond to that damage. And then so after maybe an, an, a couple of hours in the sun, your body's now responding correctly to it. But unfortunately, that first hour, the body didn't respond to it correctly. The damage has been done and it, some of it's irreversible. Um, and yeah, so I, I always uh, warn people that, you know, I only had an hour out in the sun it is is could be as dangerous as having four hours out in the sun, you know. Um, so we, we, we've done a little bit of work with that where we, we've taken uh, skin cells in the lab, we've exposed them to ultraviolet light and then measured the damage occurring to them. Uh, and if we, if we take a, a skin cell and expose it to a little bit of uh, sunlight, UV light every day, uh, and then expose it to a large amount of UV light, that skin cell will survive quite happily. But if we take a skin cell that's not being exposed to UV light, give it exactly the same dose, that skin cell will die. Do you take supplementation? Uh, I, I actually uh, take uh, nicotinamide riboside uh, and resveratrol. You yeah. do. Do you, do yeah. you take um, metformin? I don't take metformin, no. no. I, a lot of people do uh, take metformin. Um, I take metformin. And I... Yeah, metformin's got positive, definitely uh, it has positive health effects and uh, certainly in, in the preclinical studies that have been done. Yeah, so uh, if you, you, you'll notice a lot of the uh, aging researchers, anti-aging researchers in the US will take metformin. So the work that you're doing at the moment um, on your side on that uh, the tablet or supplement, that will protect the genetic coding. Is it mm -hmm. down the medical side or is it a well-being supplement side? Yeah, no, it'll, it'll be definitely a medical side. It'll, uh, it'll have to go through uh, FDA and TGA approval and all those things. It's a new, a new, a new molecule, so you can't generally take a non-natural molecule uh, and bypass the therapeutics uh, goods administration uh, pathway. So. Uh, and do you be, feel that there will be some anti-aging application for that same technology? Oh, ab absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, that idea is never to make you live forever or anything like that, but it's really to, you know, e even though we're, we're um, you know, if you went back to my home, uh, home country, Scotland, if you looked at 1980s man, he would retire at the age of 65 and on average be dead by the age of 68. Um yeah, and, uh, and they would die of cancer or, or whatever diseases, uh, heart disease, etc. Now, um, you know, if you now go to, again, back in Scotland, uh, you'll, you'll find the life expectancy is about 80 years old. Um, but unfortunately, they still get the same disease at the same stage of the life cycle. They'll still, at the age of 66, 65, develop cancer or develop heart disease. But we're just really good at treating them now. Um, and so the issue is lies that, while age is lifespan has increased, health span hasn't uh, without therapeutic intervention. Um, and so our, our pill is ultimately, if successful, is designed to expand health span to exactly the same point. Uh, as, as lifespan. 
yeah, has gone out to. So you you know you you might have a couple of years of poor life, but they're going to be when you're in your nineties or eight late eighties rather than when you're in your your sixties and start to have to take statins and start to have to take blood pressure tablets and uh, you become diabetic and your bones start to crumble and you have to take some of these awful uh, osteoporosis drugs. So the, the idea is that we will um, hopefully hopefully if it works um, stop that happening until you're in your eighties. Yeah. What about diet and exercise in your research uh, for aging and cancer? What are the steps that we can take? Um, And I know that you and I talked about fasting and intermittent fasting when we met. Mm. Um, Yeah. What are some of the hard research facts around this and DNA damage or preventing DNA damage? Yeah, like I think in intermittent fasting, um, it's it's an it's an interesting one. It's like I I I I I I occasionally do it every every now and again. I don't don't do it all the time because it's hard hard one to always maintain over a long long period of time. But it's uh, you know it it kind of goes back to what what was naturally uh, the how we we actually functioned. Um, you know our genetics have a lot to do with how we actually uh, live our lives. You know where we came from in the in the world, uh, and you should really factor in your diet uh, considering this. So, if you look at Scots people or people from Northern Europe, um, you know I'm talking about Finland and Scotland and uh, Sweden and Norway and these people. Um, the the majority of the diet uh, would have been from fish for a very very long time. Um, but then the diet changed over time. Uh, but our body's genetics were set uh, to, to a fish diet. That's what we prefer. So, for instance, Scots people, um, many, many Scots people uh, have uh, don't handle cholesterol. We're, we're missing cholesterol receptors. Um, and it means that we, if you have a meat diet when you're from Scotland, um, you're, you're, uh, you have a risk of heart disease, a much higher risk of heart disease. Uh, and the same is true for Finland. Um, and Finland's one of the, you know, if you want to put it, the best example of a change of diet in the world was Finland. Finland used to have the worst heart disease record in the world. Um, um, and the, the problem was that Finnish people were meat eat, uh, were fish eaters and the fish stocks were depleted in Europe, uh, became expensive. And so people moved over to eating uh, fatty foods, uh, meat-based foods with high fat levels. And so Sweden had by far the worst uh, heart disease record, probably followed by Scotland after that. Um, but Did what you say actually Finland happened? Finland or Sweden? In Finland, Finland, yes, Finland. Yeah. Um, and so what Finland is, the government introduced um, school meals, free school meals to all children, uh, and they were healthy meals. Uh, the kids weren't just getting lunch; they were getting breakfast as well, breakfast and lunch. And the idea that was uh, over a generation, these kids would uh, recognize what a healthy diet was uh, when they grew up. Um, and then that, that would have a positive impact. So the, the timeline was probably 20, 30 years that we're looking at. Um, but what they actually found out was, uh, was a very interesting fact. So it's, uh, Finland's a heart disease record is, you know, uh, probably on average now in Europe. So it's really pretty good. Um, and the, re- the reason it happened so quickly in Finland was that the kids actually started to reject food that their parents were giving them at home. And that drove the, that drove the parents to change uh, the foods that they're cooking. 
Um, so the, the positive impact of the kids realizing what healthy food was, what the food they were getting at school was healthy, then impacted directly and extremely quickly onto the food that their parents were actually eating because the kids were refusing to eat this high fatty foods that the, the, the parents, the high processed foods that their parents were giving them for dinner. Um, and so within yeah, a very short period, uh, there was a huge positive. And so that's the best example, I think, in the world that diet has a massive impact on, on, uh, on our process. So, you know, it can't, it can't do everything, but if you eat healthy, control your weight, um, uh, exercise, um, and, and an unknown, and, and people don't, uh, don't often pick on this, is stress, mental stress. Uh, is a huge aging uh, aging factor. Um, your mental stress will shorten your telomeres uh, in your body. Uh, we know this is fact. Sue Blackburn did a, a massive study of 30,000 plus people. And please explain to our audience what telomeres are. Uh, telomeres are the ends of our genetic code. And as we get older, these telomeres shorten. Um, now, the good news is uh, we always thought once the telomere shortened, it couldn't lengthen again. Uh, turns out that's not true. Sue Blackburn showed in that same study that telomeres will lengthen again. So that if you can remove that stress factor from your life, uh, the mental stress factor for, or, or even physical stress factors from your life, your telomeres will recover to a certain extent. And so you won't be permanently aged uh, in that one. But so I, I think about balancing mental health, um, uh, I guess becoming resilient, uh, mentally resilient in, in today's uh, environment is, is, is probably a, a key a lesson. I think a lot of people should be taught in life. Uh, but yeah, exercise, um, moderate exercise, you know, we, we, we can also say extreme athletes don't tend to live longer uh, than uh, people. So everything in moderation. So, um, um, and, and as you said, calorie restriction is good. We, we were never designed to, to have, and, and so you, you'll see some people who um, maybe came from Pacific Islanders, etc. some of the, the, um, of these genetic groups, they they have a real issue because they were used to large periods of famine. Um, so they kind of, the genetic code uh, suited them so that they had the capacity to pile on uh, weight uh, when food was plentiful. Uh, and every year uh, there was a period where food was not plentiful for a number of months and the body would use the fat reserves. Uh, to sustain the person over that period of time. But unfortunately, when you move uh, to a, a point where food is plentiful um, and they're driven uh, genetically to, uh, to deliberately pile on calories so that they can withstand that period, then they, they, they suffer from that. And, and so it's hard, hard for some, some people to actually control their weight because they're actually genetically coded uh to to put weight on uh because of where, where they they lived originally and where they, their genetics came from um so it's not a one a one solution for everyone i think it's not you know we we can talk about um you know uh why why some people are obese uh and you know it, it's not a one solution and 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 you know overweight people um it's not always the case but it can be mental health issues there can be a lot of confounding factors factors too so um, genetics play a ma massive role in how your body processes. Yeah, your yeah, yeah. And, and, and exactly, if you can understand where your uh, roots come from, um, you, you, you have a, a very strong case for understanding, you know, what kind of lifestyle you, changes you maybe have to have. Um, to, I'm a big to... fan of genetic testing. I, had, I did the 23andMe test eight years ago, um, yeah. and I found it particularly insightful 
I, and yeah. I, I was able to really transform my body and my health as a result of that genetic information. And a lot of yeah. things that I'd assumed because I'd grown up in Australia were incorrect because my genetic coding is from Iran. I'm from, you know, centuries of evolution of the Middle East. I was just trans, you know, I was born in France, but I was transposed to a Western society, Western diet, Western lifestyle yeah. very recently in the genetic blueprint of my life. And yeah. Once I understood that and I understood, um, you know, the, the way that my body metabolizes food, what foods my genetic coding was predisposed to, um, what yeah. exercise, um, what illnesses, it, it, was, it was a game changer for me. And I can honestly say that the, from the time that I had that genetic testing to now, the changes I've been able to make in my health and lifestyle have made me the fittest, healthiest most youthful that I've ever felt. Yeah, yeah, no, I 100% agree. If you can understand your origins, you know, ultimately, if you want to be fit and healthy, you know, um, and, and the world uh, in this area, you, you, uh, genetic diversity is how you, how you're going to be uh, the, you know, you have you have the healthiest children. Uh, we know if you have a in certain uh, populations where um, there was a tradition of marrying um, into small communities. Um, and so the genetic pool became very um, isolated. Uh, and when you isolate a genetic pool, it's, you've got a high chance of getting the genetic diseases uh, within them. Uh, if you look at the, the British royal family, uh, although it's changed over, over years, not, not, uh, those, you know, the genetic illness uh, has come from that that's now spread around the world. You know? um, uh, so it's, uh, so uh, diversifying, uh, you know, if you have a partner who's, who's different, you know, we're, we're often, I, I think, um, attracted to people who are different uh, from us, you know, um, you know, um, dark, dark haired people are often attracted to people with blonde hair, etc. Um, or, or light skinned people are attracted to people with slightly darker skin or whatever. And I think that's a evolutionary trait that, 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 it, it benefits having healthy children um, and, and them having healthy children. So it's, it, it's a good one. So um, yeah, understanding where you come from and how that, you know, you, you've got to look at, you know, if you, if you come from uh, Asia, they, they didn't have this thing with alcohol, uh, number one, um, and they didn't have this relationship that Europeans have with dairy product. Um, and and therefore uh, most Asians can't tolerate dairy uh, because they haven't had, tens of thousands of years where dairy was an actual um, a driver of survival. You know, if you look back in Europe, uh, if you were able to eat dairy uh, successfully during times of famine uh, or times of low food, your chances of having children was enhanced, uh, whereas that was never the case in, in other countries where that was never taken up as a practice. So there was no benefit to having dairy tolerance, uh, lactose tolerance. Uh, so those, those um, uh, cultures have tend to, to, those genetic uh, backgrounds tend to not be to tolerant to lactose. Um, Professor Richard, I could speak to you for a day, but I'm going to make sure that we have you back on the show because there's so many things to unpack. And as you're going through your research, I would be honored if you would share it with our audience as well. Yep. And I want to thank Absolutely. you so much. And uh, we'll have links to your foundation as well. If anyone is interested in following the work that you do and um, supporting the work that you do as well. And um, as I said, at the beginning of the podcast, you, you were uh, 
partly responsible for the development of a skincare brand, an Australian brand called Ellison Crew. Uh, and that's yeah. how I met you. So I'm forever grateful to that as well. But it was wonderful to speak to you. Thank you so much. I wish you all Thanks. the success with your research. And I can't wait to hear the success of your COVID drug as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. It was great. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Ageless by Rescue is brought to you by Rescue Me Academy, Reignite Your Relationship course. Love your relationship but miss the early days? You're not alone. This course will teach you how to identify your issues, stop the fighting, find what you need to be happy, re-spark intimacy and keep the lines of communication open. Join us at rescuemeacademy.com.au to learn more about the program and to download your first free lesson. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share and rate this episode. I'd love that.